Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of April 2023, and is that special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's he going, Brad? It's going great. Good to be back and uh, ready to talk some uh, movies that I have in my collection. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm hoping it is. I mean, uh, we tend to we change up the theme every month, and I believe this was your idea that you had floated. And I'm actually yeah. kind of shocked that it's taken us this long uh, to get around to this one. So, Brad, uh, would you care to introduce uh, this month's topic on Tales from the Shelf? Well, this month's topic is very topical because um, it is something that happened 20 Eight days ago, it is uh, comedies. We're talking comedies in honor of April Fool's Day. Um, yeah, just, you know, very on time with that. But it is still technically April. So I said, let's do comedies. Just, you know, generally speaking, comedies in our collection. Yeah, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm frankly very shocked uh, that it took us this long uh, to devote an entire episode to comedies, or in, in the case of our, our title for this month's episode, Kick-Ass Comedies. Um, don't be fooled by that title. We're not talking about like strictly um, comedies that feature ass-kickings or action comedies. We're just talking about comedies in the broadest sense. But um, uh, dear listeners and hopefully viewers, um, if you're not familiar with the format here, um, a Tales from the Shelf episode, or excuse me, <clears throat> Tales from the Shelf <laughs> episode uh, is essentially a special program on catching up on cinema where myself and a guest, I very often and in most cases, uh, my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. Um, you may have noticed, uh, at least if you're watching uh, the live stream version of this, um, both Brad and I have extensive movie collections and uh, a Tales from the Shelf episode is essentially our excuse uh, to, to share some stories about our respective DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K collections. Um, I feel like most things, unless you're a straight-up hoarder, which is okay, that's a choice. Maybe it's a compulsion, but to some extent, maybe it's a choice. There's no judgment. <laughs> uh, we are on YouTube, after all. <laughs> we got to be careful. <laughs> um, usually there's a story uh, behind or a reason behind most of the things that you choose to collect, um, most of the specific items that you choose to have in your possession. So this... This show is our excuse uh, to talk about the things we have and why. Hey, can we have I them. can I cut you off there, Trevor? I just want to say that we need to use the correct terminology for collectors. If you're a, if you're a hoarder collector, you're not a hoarder. It's called you're a juicer. You're a juicer because you're juicing the size of your collection. Um, that's you know obviously buying things that you don't like, you don't ever intend to watch, like bargain bin, you know, Blu-rays and stuff, just to make your collection seem bigger you know you're bought you're just juicing the size of your collection um going for more 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 quantity over any sort of quality so you know not hoarding it's juicing uh, uh, juicing okay lesson learned juicing yeah. wheezing yeah. the juice if you will <laughs> yeah. or like taking uh, if like obviously uh we don't have kids at, at least unless you've been you know hiding your children from our years of friendship, I don't think either of us have children, but like if you had children 
and they had some like, you know, bluey, they had bluey on Blu-ray sort of thing. And you're just going to, I'm just going to stick those uh, Blu-rays of bluey in my collection and just, you know, hide them amongst it. So it's just, you know, it's going to amp up the size a little bit. You know, that's, that's where we get maybe exercise DVDs, that kind of thing. Like th- that's juicing. Okay. Well, I would push back on that a little bit and also say that, you know, those are things that have stories behind them. That's also called theft. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that is called stealing from a child. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think at a certain age, um, not even a certain age, at a certain uh, quantity, your kids need to have their own uh, designated collection. I think once you, we have 10 movies of your child, like for your child, specifically for them, not for you. Uh, then they need their own designated shelf, their own designated collection. Obviously, if you own a movie like a Pixar movie or something that, you know, is a movie that you like and you watch as well with your kid, that's fine. But if we're talking like Blue's Clues on Blu-ray or that kind of thing, that's when, you know, they need their own designated collection and you got to start them early. You got to teach them young. Here, here, Brad. Uh, I, I look forward to the day you have little Rugrats of your own and you have a, a room with like five different locks on it, including like a, a biometric scanner or something that doesn't allow those kids uh, to get anywhere near your your collection of films. Yeah, definitely <laughs> like, got to avoid the vinegar syndrome titles. That'll be the main. Uh, yeah, keep them away from those. Well, keep the tradition alive, Brad. You know, get yourself a beaded curtain or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not a bad idea. Uh, okay, so uh, as is uh, tradition, uh, I am going to promptly uh, toss Brad directly under the bus and uh, request that uh, he be the first one to share uh, one of his picks uh, for this theme's month of kick-ass comedies. Uh, so, Brad, uh, what is your first pick? All right. Well, I feel like I always say this. I don't know if I've talked about this in the past. Some of these I maybe have, but I'm going to start with one I don't think I've brought up on Tales from the Shelf. Um, definitely a comedy that came out at a good time for me to watch this movie. I was at, I was at the perfect age for it. I still think it holds up still one of my favorites in the teenagers trying to get laid at the end of high school subgenre. And that is uh super bad, super bad with uh, Michael Sarah, Jonah Hill, and most notably got to mention also written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. And uh, I really like Superbad. I think it's uh, a lot of fun. It hits a lot of things that I like, you know, the sort of like one crazy night sort of subgenre. I think it's one of uh, the better examples of that. And uh, obviously, you know, there's many quotable lines um, came out at a good time. I was just at the right age, a little bit younger than these characters were. Um, but I think what's great about it is, you know, a lot of people could you could watch this movie and look at it like, Oh, these characters like they're so obnoxious and annoying and they're 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 they're, so, they're cursing so much. And, you know, that's kind of like the point is that they're like these high schoolers who are trying to act tough and they're dropping F-bombs just like to make them seem cooler and tougher. And, you know, it's kind of like leaning into that like that. It's funny if you look at it like they're actually kind of losers because they're swearing so much and, you know, being so raunchy, not that the things they are actually saying are funny in and of itself. And so there's a little bit of a, you know, you got to take a step back to look at why this movie is funny. Um, But also it, I believe Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg wrote at least a version of the script while they were in high school. Um, And so I, I do think you can see that in the finished product. Like it does, 
like the, the characters in this movie, especially because I saw it when I was around their age, like people definitely talked like that in high school. And I think it uh, it definitely uh, plays pretty realistically. And I also really like just like the friendship aspect between um, Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill. I think it, it does have heart to it. And uh, I love the ending, like the final uh, moment of them going up and down the escalator or the one character going down the escalator and leaving the other behind. Uh, it's, 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 it works like it, it, it hits you in the emotions a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, a movie I've seen many, many times. And I think it is, uh, very funny. Yeah. I actually saw that in, uh, like when it first came out, uh, what, what year was it again, Brad? 2008, I want to say. Okay. So that would have placed me in college. Um, and I remember going to see that with some of my, well, some of my high school friends. Um, so it was a very appropriate group to go with, to watch that kind of movie. Um, that's literally the only time I saw that, but I remember really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Like I was really, I was really surprised by like how much, like how genuine a lot of it felt and how much heart a lot of the characterizations had. It's actually kind of funny that, you know, it, it, the cop characters are probably the most intrusive element and the like the most unbelievable aspect of of the film because a lot of it does kind of have that freaks and geeks kind of like slice of life kind of quality to it i mean it's a little bit overblown obviously it is a it is a teen boob comedy but when those characters show up it, it's actually kind of funny that that's like the one element that actually sticks out and it's not bad it's just like one of these things is a little bit not like the others um, but yeah, I only saw it the one time and I I really enjoyed it. Um, it really I feel like it ushered in a little bit of a an age of imitators for like a maybe a two, three year stretch. Um, what was it? What was the what was the pizza delivery one that I had to go see with my with my dipshit oh, friend? I think are you thinking of 30 minutes drive? or less? Oh, 30 minutes or less. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I, I feel like there there were a host of imitators like in a very short period of time they kind of got pushed through the hollywood system on the strength of super bad um and and to some extent i guess it it still has some legs like it still has a little bit of a legacy because there was that a uh, uh book smart uh movie mm-hmm. that was heavily promoted as essentially the the bridesmaids equivalent of super bad where it's like it's lady super bad it's like maybe don't call it that maybe just, maybe just maybe just let it be its own thing but it's like hey, you got to sell it somehow yeah um i haven't seen that one but i have heard it's very good yeah that one's good it's from what i remember i didn't think booksmart was as funny but it is um well acted and well directed and it does fit into that one crazy night subgenre um so it's it's very watchable and fun uh, but yeah, with the cop characters, like I, I do agree that, yeah, they are kind of like, you know, the one element of the movie that's a little out there and like maybe could have been, you know, cut. But I think the reason it's great is uh, Seth Rogen and Bill Hader playing those two characters um, are very funny. Like I specifically Bill Hader is amazing. And uh, yeah, so even though that, uh, you know, subplot feels a little bit like. Every time we cut to it, maybe it's a little bit of like, eh, you know, would I rather just be following Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill more? But I think they weave them together well enough that it it works for the most part. Yeah, no, on the whole, I think it's a very, very, very fun film. Um, and yeah, the Seth Rogen and, and Bill Hader, they 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 get it mm-hmm. like they 
I think they just put on those costumes and just size themselves up and they're like, oh, yeah, we we know what to do with this. <laughs> it's like I, I love when that happens, when like just a, a character is, is put together just like seamlessly. Where it's just like, oh, yeah, we, we we see all the components that build this person and what you're seeing on the screen very much jives with what you would expect from them. But excellent pick, Brad. Way, way to kick us off with something nice. Yeah. Um, also, I mentioned Emma Stone in here, like, you know, and a solid, like, up and coming young cast, like Joan Hill, Michael Sarah, also Emma Stone. Davy Franco has got a brief appearance. Like, they, you know, great casting for, you know, these, there was quite a few stars in the making in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, kind of shocking, actually, in retrospect, like how many, how many massively talented and, and famous people like kind of not necessarily got their start there, but we're all assembled into mm-hmm. a very nice on like a nice ensemble in that film. Um, again, excellent pick. Okay. So uh, I have my pick here and that it's a, uh, it is my show. Uh, so I'm going to cheat just a little bit with a, uh, a twofer. Um, however, uh, it is uh, part of the same franchise. It's a, it's the first film. And I believe, the only sequel. I, I seriously doubt there's any interest in continuing this particular franchise. Um, but um, funny enough, it comes from uh, one of the people responsible for Superbad. In fact, Wait, can, it's I, a, can I guess? Oh, you can know what it is, Brad. You know what it is. You want to spoil I, it? Go I, for it. Buddy. I Go don't it. know what it is, but I'm, yes, I have a do. guess that it's Neighbors. Oh, gee, Jesus, Brad. <laughs> Wrong, aren't I? <laughs> wrong (laughs) (laughs) um yes fred you're wrong um i actually don't have that many comedies um i have a handful of uh action comedies um but when it comes to like straight up just like comedic films i i have very few and this is not one of them this is uh a little bit of a hybrid comedy um so yeah actually i'm not picking from a, a deep reservoir of films here, Brad. So I'm actually kind of shocked that you didn't get this one, but it is from uh, Evan Goldberg and uh, Jay Baruchel or Baruchel. I'm not actually. Oh, positive. okay. Yeah. You, you know where I'm going with this. And actually it's actually like speaking of using other movies to promote your movie. They say it loudly and proudly on the cover art for this one. They're like from the people who made you super bad. <laughs> it's like, Oh, well, I, I liked Super Brad. I guess I'll buy this. Uh, okay, so to dispel the mystery that Brad has already, you know, figured out ages ago, I have here Goon, and that is uh, Jay Baruchel or Jay Baruchel there on the cover. Uh, he is the writer of this film. It says Michael Dowse directed it, um, but he, uh, I believe, directed the sequel, Goon. Last of the Enforcers, um, which is definitely the inferior film between the two of them. Uh, but it is one that I basically have never heard anyone talk about. Uh, I had to hunt this puppy down, Brad. Uh, speaking yeah. of collecting, uh, this was hard to find. Um, it got delayed a lot. Um, and I remember trying to trying to run out and grab it. Wasn't happening. I remember trying to order it. It got delayed, wasn't happening, and it. I had to really stay committed <laughs> to getting myself some goon too, um, and I'm I'm kind of glad that I did. I, I'm happy to have it on my shelf. Um, I wouldn't call either either one of these uh, like amazing films. They're definitely like for a specific crowd, for a specific taste. Like there's a, a specific brand of like 
dumb, raunchy comedy uh, that these films occupy that honestly works for me. I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of like really intentionally trashy, but very heartfelt Canadian garbage films out there. <laughs> and then these movies kind of fit into that mold. It, it, it's very much trailer park boys. But but, you know, in a film presentation and not bad, because uh, I actually have a, a, a friend uh, who is a diehard fan of the trailer park boys who has very little good to say about like, I don't know if there's more than one movie, but they were kind of taken aback by by how how much they didn't care for it, because they absolutely mm-hmm. love the show and they loved all the people who were involved in the making of it. But for some reason, that movie or those movies just did not work for them. But. Yeah, uh, the Goon movies. I I love them. They're uh, they're like especially the first one, kind of like equal parts sports drama, um, and and dumb fucking comedy, just like rock stupid comedy. Um, and it's actually kind of funny. Like the the moment, like I don't know if you you have this with with comedies or with movies, but like I had a a, a rare moment with the first Goon where. In the first few minutes, I I like felt myself shift in my seat, and I was like, "Oh, I I like this." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I I I think I get this," and it's speaking to me. And it's the sequence where uh, our uh, our main character here, Sean William Scott, uh, Doug Glatt, I think is his character's name in it. Um, he's at a hockey game with some friends, and uh, one of the one of the players from the opposing team uh, is shouting obscenities and being making a scene being a, a real asshole and he says some really homophobic stuff and the doug glatt character has a, a gay brother and he's just like sitting in the crowd and like his sean william scott is actually a very talented actor that gets cast in some funny things but his like his face doesn't move a whole lot but he just kind of like mutters to himself he's like my brother's gay <laughs> and then, like, I, <laughs> And then somehow the guy call like pinpoints him in the crowd and charges up into the stands and they get into a fight and his opening gambit, uh, the Doug Glatt character is just shouting the guy's face. My brother's gay. <laughs> and it's in slow motion. And he headbutts the guy and they have this beautiful close up of the guy's helmet exploding when he headbutts him. And I was like, that was fucking stupid. But I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the movie just keeps growing from there. And then they introduce like an actual dramatic story arc, like a sports drama arc with the with the Lee Schreiber character. And I love everything they did with him. And they came. It's actually it frustrates me because there's a there's a moment at the very climax of the film where spoiler alert, these two go head to head like they they duke it out on the ice. Uh, they are goons after all. <laughs> Um, that's their job. Um, and they have this beautiful setup for like this super dramatic showdown between the two of them. And there's this this beautiful like orchestral music cue and the, the cinematography's on point. The editing's on point. It's like it feels like something from a Rocky movie or something like it's like, whoa, th- this is the two guys circling. Like, this is the two sharks circling each other before they headbutt each other and blow blow the fuck out of each other or something. It's like this is about to be awesome. It's like that bear wearing a fucking disco ball is going to jump off that motorcycle ramp. <laughs> but then for some reason, the editor or the director or whoever decided to cut like hard cut to Jay Burchell doing a vlog in the stands and and then they cut and then they cut back to the action it's like 
you literally pulled me out of it. Like you mm-hmm. literally yanked me away from from the thing that you were setting up. It's like, why did you choose to do that? And it, it, it frustrates me to no end because small differences make worlds of differences in, in the way you structure a film. And yeah, uh, that bugged me a lot. But uh, Guntu is certainly not as good, um, but it does have a, a good use of uh, Wyatt Russell. Uh, Kyle, my usual co-host on Catching Up on Cinema, is not a fan, um, despite the bloodline, like respect. But um, apparently, Wyatt Russell actually does have a background as like a professional hockey player. Um, so for him to be cast in this kind of role, like a, a dick swinging, like like cocky bastard of a, a hockey player, probably was very easy for him. And also from a physical standpoint, he fits the role really well. And to his credit, they they do inject some like pathos. Um, with his character and his relationship to his dad, but on the whole, it's just it's just a inferior goon. Uh, so it's probably the death knell of the franchise. But I'm glad we have it because I, I for the most part, enjoy both these movies. Yeah, I've only seen the first one, um, but I like it well enough uh, from what I remember. Um, I would not have in a million years uh, guessed goon until you gave the Jay Beruchel clue because I forgot evan goldberg had anything to do with that one um but uh yeah it's it's a good movie and actually um just within the last like two or three weeks um watched goon the last three minutes of it actually um because i was over at my parents and uh we live close enough to canada that we get the uh, cbc channel on television And uh, Goon was on TV and my dad really is a big hockey guy and he likes comedies. So he started watching Goon and I was uh, in the other room um, and uh, I just happened to walk through the room and notice they were watching Goon. Anyway, my, my dad ended up going to bed while the movie was playing. So he watched like an hour of it. But my mom, she stayed up and she watched uh, the whole thing and uh she doesn't watch too many movies nowadays unless I'm like, you know, either watching them with her or taking her to the movies. So uh, it's a, it's a big compliment to Goon that my mom continued to uh, continued to watch it, I guess. Yeah, actually, for 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 somebody who doesn't watch that many movies, that is that's high praise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to actually you know, bother <laughs> to sit down and keep keep on trucking through the thing. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, I, I think I actually brought goon over to my parents house and and kind of made everybody watch it because i was i was kind of enamored with it mm-hmm. <laughs> for a time it's been a really long time since i've watched it and i'm a little bit too embarrassed to suggest a viewing of it with the girlfriend i feel like she she would think less of me <laughs> if we tried to watch it together um but i do have that itch like i am especially now after having talked about it, I'm like, it might be goon time again. <laughs> I'm just imagining you going over to your parents with your goon Blu-ray and being like, everybody, we're watching goon tonight. And your parents being like, Trevor, it's Thanksgiving. Not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was probably pretty close to that. <laughs> like, like it was like a family get together. So it was probably like a holiday. Or something. I don't think it was Thanksgiving, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was some holiday. It's like, hey, Mom, it's your birthday. <laughs> We're watching Goon. <laughs> There's worse movies you could pick, though. There's worse movies. Uh, not bad. Not bad. Yeah, no, but easily. There, I, I own 
far worse movies than that. But um, anyway, that's enough about Goon. I said far too much about Goon. So, Brad, I will pass the baton to you. What is your next kick-ass comedy? I'm going to do another... I'm going to do a double like you did. I'm going to do a twofer. And there's a loose connection here. Loose connection. They're not part of the same franchise. But two of my favorite comedies, and they do have some creative talent that links them. Obviously, I guess, you know, one thing that's interesting with comedies and comedic films is... You know, there's it's not like any other genre where there's like, you know, a lot of like singular filmmakers and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of crews. There's a lot of, you know, comedy troops. And even if they're not a troop like, you know, the Evan Goldberg, Seth Rogen, uh, James Franco, Jonah Hill, like that troop. And then, you know, you've got your 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 other troops. You got your, your the, the the broken lizard, the super trooper guys. You know, you've got these troops. And so there's kind of a, like a lot of these movies, we probably could draw connections between them. Um, but this troupe is the uh, Monty Python troupe is the troupe I'm going to mention now. And the first one I'll mention is what at one point I would have called my favorite movie of all time is uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which uh, I, I do absolutely love. And I have not seen... Um, all of Monty Python's stuff. Like I actually haven't even seen uh meaning of life uh, or no, am I thinking meaning of life or life of Brian? No, I've seen meaning of life. I haven't seen life of Brian. I think, right. Those are, those are the two movies. Am I going crazy? Yeah, no, those are, okay. those are two Monty Pythons. I was just getting confused because they both had life in it. I'm like, am I, am I losing it here? Have not seen life of Brian. Um, but this movie, you know, it definitely has, all the elements of Monty Python. And I think the fact that it's a PG rated film is a big reason why it has, you know, continued to sustain itself with young boys and that kind of humor. Like it's definitely, even though I think the humor in it is great and really clever and smart. And I love the direction. It definitely hits that, you know, um, zone of appealing to a younger demographic while also still being like, a great comedy in and of itself. Like I've watched it since I've grown up and I still think it's amazing. Um, and it's kind of like, it's a, it's a comedy where it's like, I've seen it so many times and so many of the elements of it have been, you know, mentioned to death, meme to death, quoted to death that maybe it's lost a little bit of its, uh, you know, potency, like obviously like the, the black Knight sequence, which is an amazing bit. It's an amazing gag. It's an amazing scene. But again, everybody knows that scene. It's, you know, it maybe lacks a little bit of its power. But I do think there are still some like very subtle moments that haven't been quoted to death that are amazing in this. Um, and yeah, so I, I love it. I love Monty Python. I've, I've watched a lot of their show, Flying Circus. Not all of it again, but a lot of it. And I really like their sketches on there. Um, and the other movie I'll mention, which is not technically a Monty Python movie, but it does have some of the cast and it is written by John Cleese is a fish called Wanda, a fish called Wanda, which um, is much more straightforward of a comedy, but it does have some absurd elements that begin to feel Python esque. And I think that like meshing of the two, like this sort of like, somewhat highbrow studio comedy, you know, with Jamie Lee Curtis and it's directed by, uh, uh, Charles Crichton, 
who I can't remember what else he's done, but he's, you know, a bit of a, I think he's a little highbrow, more highbrow of a director than you would think for a sort of comedy like this. But the mixing of those two elements, I think, really works. And I think uh, the cast is great in this. And there are some elements that are amazing. Specifically, uh, there's an element between Michael Palin and John Cleese. There's a scene towards the end. Trevor, have you seen this movie? I guess I should ask. Uh, no, uh, I haven't. Um, it's actually kind of funny because I, I have always wanted to do because I've, I've heard it has a, a sterling reputation and that's actually a VHS cover that I, I remember very distinctly from when I was very, very young. It's actually not that image. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't okay. know what, I don't know what the fuck that is. The, the yeah, VHS cover, uh, if you look it up, Brad, if I, if I remember correctly, has like a fish person. Standing among the cast. And it's like when you're a kid and you're walking past that and the movie's called A Fish Called Wander, you're like, is this a movie about a fish person? And then I'm pretty sure my mom was like, no, it's not. (laughs) It it isn't. But we never I never had the opportunity to watch it, but I've always heard it was very, very good. But um, go ahead. Go on, Brad. Well, I just if I'm remembering right, I think John Cleese and Michael Palin maybe only have like one actual interaction in the movie. Like their characters are pretty separate. The storylines for the most part, but their one interaction is so good. I remember the first time I saw it, I lost it. I was losing it at this scene because Michael Palin, the whole movie, he has a stutter. And um, I don't know if this would be like, I don't know if this is like offensive to people that do have a stutter, which, you know, is, you know, I'm not making light of that or anything, but Michael Palin has a stutter and there's a moment where we're getting to the end of the movie and like, it's almost like, uh, I think Kevin Klein has kidnapped Jamie Lee Curtis and you know, he's, he's on the run and he's about to board a plane to take her away. And like, it's like he, John Cleese has to go with saver and he's, he saves Michael Palin or something from being tied up. And he doesn't know that Michael Palin has a stutter. And he goes, oh, where did they go? Where did they go? And it's like, he's like, hurry, let's go. And Michael Palin uh, starts to try and tell him and he can't get the words out because it's just like so energized and amped up. And the the two of them, like that's that's the joke basically is that he can't get the words out. But the two of them, their comedic performance and interaction there, my, uh, John Cleese trying to help Michael Palin say the words. And at one point he's telling him like, oh, sing it. Why don't you try, try, try to sing it? And so Michael Palin starts trying to sing the words and he's st- still stuttering. It is amazing. It is so funny. And it's it comes at the end of the movie and it's one of the biggest laughs in the whole thing. It's so good. And there's it feels very Monty Python-esque like that moment. And probably because the two of them working together, of course. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really great comedy. Uh, cast is great, well directed. And it's kind of like one of those comedies from like the 70s and 80s where it's not like, you know, very, it's not like a sitcom-esque. Like it's not just like a joke delivery machine. Like there actually is some like craftsmanship and there's like, there's an inter- there's like a somewhat interesting plot. Like it feels like a film and then, you know, just there's, comedic moments which i don't think we get that as much nowadays like the few comedies that we do get are pretty much just like meant to be like all right let's just you know throw in as many bits as we can but back in the day comedies were more like like a little bit stronger the filmmaking was stronger and then it was just like the jokes were a little more uh like chosen like there were it wasn't like you'd go long stretches where it's not like there wouldn't be any actual like 
jokes and gags, but everything surrounding the film would be strong enough that you wouldn't really care. And then when the funny moments do hit they're uh, they're great. And so, yeah, I love uh, fish called Wanda. It is uh, it's up there as one of my favorite comedies, not necessarily like as like the funniest in terms of like laughs, but uh, very watchable, very fun. Um, and yeah, great cast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> writing, Brad, writing is hard um, and it does seem to be increasingly something that is absent from a lot of comedies. Like you said, we don't seem to get that many comedies lately, um, probably because it. I have to imagine it. it's everything that happens in Hollywood and whatnot is usually driven by profit margins and whatnot. And language barriers for international audiences probably prohibit like ultra detailed, like snappy writing, like as being a selling point, because if you offer that that particular project overseas, it'll either be dubbed or subtitled and humor is very regional or cultural specific. Um, and sometimes it doesn't cross boundaries as easily. Uh, fat guy fall down humor, on the other hand, Pratt falls slapstick is utterly universal. Um, so I feel like there there is a little bit of pressure to simplify things. Um, but not only that, there's probably just like a little bit of laziness. Like I'm actually of the mind that like there've probably been like uh, AI written scripts in Hollywood, like circulating in Hollywood for a few years now. It's like you and I, like like Joe Schmo, we're 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 only just now talking about this. But there's probably working professionals who have been aware of this shit and have been leaning on it to to fill like to to get from A to C in the writing of their scripts, where it's just like. Chat GPT, come up with a fat guy fall down scenario that will make people laugh in India or something. <laughs> and it's like this sounds like a funny thing. It's like, and then you fill in the blanks or whatever. But Fish Called Wanda is uh, instantly is jumped very high to my to do list um, because I was reading about it while you were talking, Brad. And uh, Charles Crichton um, is not a director who is known to me, um, but he looks like a. Uh, very fascinating individual, um, critically acclaimed director, began working in the 40s, and then there was nearly 20 years uh, between his last project and A Fish Called Wanda. And then I didn't know this, but just glancing at A Fish Called Wanda, nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director and Screenplay, mm-hmm. among many others, including BAFTAs. Um yeah. I believe Apparently it's a uh, good ass film on top of being very funny. I think did Kevin Klein win supporting actor? I want to say I think he won. He may have. I mean, Kevin yeah. Klein. I really, really like Kevin Klein. Um, and it doesn't surprise me that he would be able to turn in a stellar performance in pretty much anything you put him in, especially at that point in his career, um, which as far as I understand, he was I don't know if he was riding high just yet or maybe that was his breakthrough or something, but um, yeah, I'm very intrigued to check that one out um, because you say you you watched, you know, the Holy Grail and other Monty Python stuff when you were younger. A lot. A lot of people, a lot of people get on that train as well. Like I had lots of friends in middle school, especially who really bit hard for that, who love that stuff. Um, me, not so much. My dad showed me a couple of the movies like like the Holy Grail and the Life of Brian. Um, I think those were the only two major ones I was exposed to. Um 
but on the whole, like actually my appreciation for that troupe lies mostly with Terry Gilliam as a director. Um, but also just John Cleese as a person. Mm-hmm. Like to me, John Cleese is an immensely fascinating person. Like he's a, I believe he's a professor in the off, in his off times <laughs> or whatever. Um, and very, very interesting person when it comes to his, his views on comedy and psychology and whatnot. Um, I feel like him writing a fish called Wanda is probably a huge selling point for me specifically, um, because I do like his voice. I do. I do tend to like the way he structures his ideas and the way he presents them. Uh, so something coming directly from his mind is something that very much interests me. Um, so yeah, uh, really excited to check that one out, Brad. I, I might have to hustle for that. I will say just heads up that I have just the regular studio bare bones Blu-ray. After I bought this arrow put out a Blu-ray as well. Um, I don't have that. I do believe that one is a much better release, but I feel like this is a movie that could definitely get a 4k release down the line. Um, So I'm kind of just like sort of holding off for that. Yeah. uh, I mean, that's another aspect of the show folks um, is this, the collecting aspect, not just the movies themselves, but the, the, particular copies of the movies that we have in our possession. So thanks for that. I actually wasn't aware if anybody else had taken another crack at that one. Yeah. And Kevin Klein did win an Oscar. It does say on the back. So he did, he did win okay. the Oscar for it. it. It's on the box, there we uh, go. which is actually a brilliant, absolutely brilliant transition. Um, I don't know if you got the reference just then, but it's not on the box. Um, so I have my next pick here. Uh, all queued up and I'm I'm sorry Brad to cut you off so suddenly but again stellar transition way to go buddy way to way to host the fucking show uh so uh Brad has been driving the conversation point of uh troops comedic troops uh being kind of a a thing that you you often find in in a comedic media circles where a lot of times you'll find that there are collectives of people who have maybe a brand or like a, a friendship among them um, that leads to them collaborating very frequently and, and it having like loose connective tissue between a lot of the products they put out, either, either in the form of the people who are cast in them, the people who are writing them, maybe even sometimes a production label or something. So uh, Brad had just highlighted um, the Monty Python crew of the troupe, um, the, the British comedian group. Um, and I have here a movie uh, that is very near and dear to m- my heart and many people uh, around the world, as far as I understand. Um, and it comes from uh, the Saturday Night Live uh, alum, um, which was kind of a I don't think they do it anymore, really. But for a very long stretch, um, pretty much post uh, Wayne's World, I want to say um, the SNL branded comedic film was maybe even a an annual annual tradition of sorts it was it was like it was like the saw movies dropping every year or something like it was very <laughs> common to see it was never explicitly advertised as a saturday night uh, saturday night live movie but just based on the cast and the writers and the producers it very much held that brand and it was when the brand was very very strong so uh, to dispel the mystery i have here uh tommy boy uh, holy Schnikey edition, which I actually have no idea what that reference is. It's it's Tommy Boy, and they did a weird Photoshop where they put 
two disembodied hands on either side of Chris Farley appearing to uh, hold up a car door, which is a gag in the movie. Um, and I also have, it's not a comedy, but I also have I Am Chris Farley here, uh, which is a documentary about the life of Chris Farley as, you know, as told in the form of people like other celebrities reminiscing about him. Kind of depressing, but uh, Chris Farley is an immensely interesting individual, if not tragic. Um, but yeah, Tommy Boy, I absolutely love this movie. Uh, Chris Farley, absolutely love his particular brand of humor. Um, you'll often find me aping his particular brand of humor. He has a specific delivery that often involves going from way down here to way up here. <laughs> and the way he would accelerate, the way he would just fly into these high energy outbursts was just a thing of beauty. I, I never get tired of it, even when even when I'm sure it was very clear that he was tired of it. Um, but this movie kind of typifies his style and also brings a, uh, a level of heart uh, that maybe not every movie he ever worked on has. Um, and as such, I believe it's probably the, the best remembered of his films. And it also, I believe, marks the the first uh, film collaboration between him and David Spade. Um, the two of them would kind of be associated with each other for many, many years. But I believe this was like the first film they did together. Um, they would do Black Sheep shortly thereafter. Um but yeah, there's so many absolutely memorable memorable bits from this one and just the the interplay between the two characters and moreover the uh shocking subtlety in some of the filmmaking, uh, just the craftsmanship involved in like really maximizing the impact of some of the humor um is admirable. Like it, it's not brilliant filmmaking by any means, but there's there's many instances where it's not just Chris Farley exploding and flying off the handle and, you know, literally fat guy fall down humor. It like one of my favorite bits actually is after they, they duke it out in front of the, uh, it's like the petrified forest and, and diner. Um, there's, there's this cut to them just sitting across the table from each other, wanting to apologize for having beaten the fuck out of each other <laughs> but they just not there yet and and the the music playing in the background is very soft but it's like this this soft lilting voice like i'm sorry <laughs> so sorry <laughs> and they keep trading glance like embarrassed glances between each other and it's no dialogue for a good couple of seconds but it, it's one of my favorite transitions um, but anyway, that's that's Tommy Boy. Uh, you, you you seen this one, Brad? You like this one? Yeah, I've I've watched it s- several times growing up. It's been quite a while since I've seen it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I really like Tommy Boy and I love Chris Farley. I don't know why it's one that I haven't continued to go back to as I've gotten older, because um, I do really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, maybe it's one I never owned it. Um, like on DVD or on VHS growing up. So it was one that I would watch it when it was on TV. And I can specifically remember going over to some friends' houses and watching it there. But uh, it was never one that I had in my personal collection. But no, it is uh, it is a great film. And Chris Farley is amazing, of course. Like, it's, not, it's no hot take. Um, but I will say, I think uh, we can even define the crew a little more specifically, because I would I would say that is part of not just the SNL crew. That is um, I'd, I'd lump that in in the Adam Sandler crew, because, of course, 
Um, you got David Spade, who has gone to work with Sandler many times. Um, Chris Farley, obviously they were on SNL and good friends together, but I could be wrong. I think the only time they really like specifically worked together was in a movie was Billy Madison, um, where Chris Farley is the bus driver. And he is amazing in that movie. He is is so funny. Dude, when that kid hits him with that sandwich, just if if you want an image to represent pure unbridled rage. Oh, he's so good. Just screen cap Chris Farley whipping around in that driver's. Hey! (laughs) And just that the fucking eggplant purple face he's making. when, when. Oh my god, he was amazing. But yeah, I, I want to say that was that was like the only one he did was oh wait, wait, wait. He like that that was with Sandler, mm-hmm. but he was also in Wayne's World. Um, yeah, yeah. That's the very <laughs> That's true. That's a very well informed security guard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I would lump. Yeah, Mike <laughs> Mike Myers. That's a little bit more of an offshoot because I wouldn't lump Myers and Carvey as part of the crew. Um, no, no, Farley is very much. You're you're absolutely right when it comes to like specific like high profile cast members from SNL. I would most associate him with being under the the Sandler brand. I guess. Yeah. Um, also, the director Peter Siegel went on to make some Sandler films. Uh, I just looked it up. I didn't. I I thought he had, but I looked up. He did Fifty First Dates, The Longest Yard, and Anger Management. Also, so that makes a lot of sense because Tommy Boy has a particular rhythm and and style. Like I wouldn't call it like friendly, but it has a particular structure to it that, like, if you close your eyes and think about it, it's like you can actually see you can see the Sandler template, at least the early days of Sandler template. Like you can see Billy Madison in some parts of it. You mm-hmm. can see happy Gilmore in some parts of it. There, there is a little bit of a template only differences. I think Tommy boy edges out a lot of them on the strength of like it actually having a, like a cohesive and heartfelt story um, that, that just gives it like a little bit of a dramatic edge that many of the other movies just simply don't bother with. Um, and on the whole, it, it just I, I think it's a little bit of lightning in a bottle. Um, just just Chris Farley and David Spade, the way they play off of each other um, and the, the particular brand of humor that the two of them bring to the table just gelled really, really well in that moment. Yeah, I actually don't quote me on this, but I may have seen Black Sheep more often as a kid growing up because I feel like it was on TV more. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case for me, too. Mm-hmm. Um especially because black sheep actually takes place in my neck of the woods. You see, there was a thing called grunge Brad, and it was kind of a big deal. Um, And, you know, Hollywood didn't get wise to that until a few years down the line until around the time black sheep came out. Um, But they were really, really trying to cash in on that a little bit. So uh, for like five minutes there, the Pacific Northwest and flannel uh, was kind of a thing in Hollywood and black sheep most definitely tried to uh, cash in on that. So I wouldn't be surprised if, that movie got a lot of play in my territory specifically when I was young. Um, but Tommy boy was definitely the one that resonated with me the most. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the one that's stood the test of time. Cause I mean, partly because everybody quotes it and everything, but I can't, I specifically remember way more about Tommy boy. I can't, I mean, really, I don't remember anything about black sheep. I remember there's a scene where he falls down a mountain. Oh that's my about God. all I remember. That's, is- 
absolute brilliance. Like Chris Farley has multiple instances of that in his filmography, one of which being <laughs> the repeated eagle attacks in Almost Heroes. Uh, people shit on that movie. I think that movie's delightful. It yeah. it is it is trashy. It is cheap looking, but he he brings it. I mean, him learning the alphabet and him being attacked by that fucking eagle. Damn. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the, when it comes to black sheep, it's him falling down the mountain. That that you could just do that. That would be good enough to carry an entire movie. Um, there's the the greeting to the new kid in town, the big headbutt. Um, I oh, am yeah. going to steal that new kid, big headbutt. Oh, <laughs> you broke my fucking nose. Um, and Gary Busey also. Uh, I don't know if Gary Busey had any script for his character. I suspect he did not. Um, but I love his performance in that movie. It is it is Gary Busey unhinged, and we we all need more of that in our lives. Um, so anyway, uh, that was Tommy Boy, and I guess in the greater sense, uh, Chris Farley. Um, so Brad, uh, in the interest of saving some time here, I think I'm going to declare this our last picks here. Okay. Um, so we'll call it three and we'll call it good. So Brad, what is your last pick? You know, um, I'm discussion about kick-ass comedies. I'm Don't actually, interrupt. <laughs> I, I'm actually calling an audible on this one. So I grabbed one movie from one, I guess you could call troop one crew. But you know what? I I'm going to grab another one from that troop because I'm going to I'm going to make my hot take right now. So I got to step up for one second. I'm going to grab the other movie off the shelf that I'm actually going to highlight. OK, I will vamp. Uh, so here I am okay. with myself talking to myself. Uh, I got so I'm a back. Lot of movies. Oh, Brad is back. <laughs> uh, I'm going to flip it over to him again. So the movie I grabbed off the shelf was Shaun of the Dead. That Well, this was the first one I grabbed off the shelf. This was the first one I grabbed off the shelf. Shaun of the Dead, um, which I love. I love Shaun of the Dead. One of my favorite movies. Um, and I actually think it's it's a great comedy, but the, you know the classic thing to say with Shaun of the Dead is it's just as good of a zombie movie, if not better of a zombie movie than it is a comedy. So I, I love Shaun of the Dead. But my hot take that I had to grab, the movie that I think is nearly as good as Shaun of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead is the world's end, which I don't think gets the love it deserves. Everybody always says Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. We love both of those. And then World's End, everyone's like, eh, it was okay. It was pretty good. I don't completely disagree, but I, I very heartily disagree because I think uh, Hot Fuzz for me is the weakest of that uh, trilogy, the Cornetto trilogy. I still really like it, but I definitely feel like the humor is not as strong and the the world's end. I will say it does dip off a little bit in the last act. The last act is not my favorite, but the first 45 minutes of this movie where they're just doing the pub crawl is so funny. It is. I think it's funnier than anything in any of the Shaun of the dead or hot fuzz. The first 45 minutes of this movie are absolutely amazing. And I love the setup. I love the premise and there's so many great, like, obviously, you know, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright, work, they work great together. And there's a lot of great, you know, quick, witty dialogue exchanges. But even just like some of the the broader bits, like the idea of they go to the first pub 
and then they're like, oh man, this has turned into like basically like, oh, it's a, it's been homogenized. It's like an Applebee's. Well, let's go to the next one. And it looks the exact same like that. Like that visual gag is so good. <laughs> I love that. And uh, I have to say that, like, you know, having uh, Simon Pegg be the the slacker in this one, I think is and I, I like that choice, like because obviously he's a slacker in Shaun of the Dead, but obviously he's more uh compared to Nick Frost's character he's he's a little bit more of like trying to be on the you know straight and narrow path and trying to trying to get his life together and obviously in Hot Fuzz they take those personalities and they amp them up even more like uh Simon Pegg is like su- u- the, like the uber professional guy in that one um so I actually like that they swapped him in this and um yeah the cast is really strong I think the uh action moments are great in it as well um and yeah it, it's just it seems like it doesn't get, i don't know if it's because it came out like i think it was like six years after hot fuzz i don't know if people just kind of were like all right yeah it's you know it's the next one in the trilogy it's the last one you know it's fine um and so my hot take is that this is almost as good as Shaun of the dead in some ways even better because the first 45 minutes are so funny um and my other hot take which i've mentioned many times maybe i've mentioned it to you i don't know uh, is that Edgar Wright is he is not the same without Simon Pegg and Nick Frost because the Cornetto trilogy is amazing. I have not been overly impressed with anything Edgar Wright has done since. Like he's a talented filmmaker, but I, Baby Driver, like it's I don't know. It just it's not as strong. Last Night in Soho was pretty good, but obviously that's not a comedy, so it's little different but i just don't think he is like this i don't know i don't want to say he's like he i don't think he's like a, an amazing like filmmaker like he's not gonna be like uh you know you know he's not our next scorsese or something like that i think he's a, a really strong director and a really strong comedic director and i think when he's working with these two guys i think they're great together but outside of them working together. I, I, I don't, I don't think it's there. And in some ways I actually think, uh, you know, even though these movies are all well directed, of course, um, I do think a lot of the strength goes to Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. And I think initially people were like, man, Edgar Wright, like the editing in these movies, like it's, it's so much, it's so fast, so fun. And yeah, you know, that's there. But, uh, the, the more I see from, Edgar Wright on his own, uh, the more I respect Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, obviously not that they've done that much great stuff outside of, uh, this trilogy either. But, uh, I think the, the three of them working together is really where they thrive. And, uh, I would love if they did some other movie together, the three of them, N- not necessarily another Cornetto movie, but just something together. Cause I, I think, uh, I think they need each other. I think they need each other to be honest. But I love the world's end. It's it's great. Yeah, actually, um, I have yet to see Shaun of the Dead. That's um, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first Edgar Wright movie I ever saw, um, I believe, was Hot Fuzz. Uh, no, maybe Scott Pilgrim. And then later on, <laughs> I was sat down to be exposed to Hot Fuzz because I had a lot of people in my orbit who were huge fans of it. And they had a lot of jokes that they were upset that I didn't 
I didn't get. I probably still don't get them because I didn't retain that movie in the slightest, aside from Timothy Dalton, who I very much like. And Mm -hmm. he kind of has some really cool moments in that one. Um, But we actually did a full review um, with the Grief Burrito Boys. Um, Grief Burrito is a podcast um, out there. The folks out there, you should definitely check it out. They do some really amazing things. Uh, Very, very talented individuals. But um, they are from the UK. Um, and it was part of Drinking Movies Month. That's right. That's um, right. Which was a Kyle spearheaded project. Uh, thanks for that, Kyle. Uh, he does good work. Uh, he's also going to be heading up our programming selections for all of May. Uh, we're, I believe we're calling it Kyle's Kitchen Sink. Um, basically, it's just a dumpster dive of whatever Kyle has the impulse to pull out of his ass in that moment. Um, should be interesting. But um, we did re- a review of the world's end. Um, and it was first time watch for me still have yet to complete the Cornetto trilogy, but yeah, I really liked it. Um, I, I thought it was on, on the level with hot fuzz, I guess. Um, and I'm really glad that you, you went down the road you did with this particular conversation because just based on what I've seen from Edgar Wright, which isn't a whole lot, just Scott Pilgrim, uh, the two Cornetto films I just mentioned and baby driver, um, so I haven't seen last night in Soho. Um, structure. Uh, structure seems to be something that perhaps Simon Pegg and Nick Frost have a better handle on than Edgar Wright. Because when I think Edgar Wright, I think everything you said, which are positives, but they need structure in order to get the most juice out of them. Um, and what I mean by that is when I think Edgar Wright, I think slick, timely edits like very like like almost like a musical quality to the way the edit of the film is structured. I mean, Baby Driver. That's that's the fucking concept of large portions of that movie is we're going to cut to the beat and make it really bouncy and fun. Only problem is you also need to build a story around that. And the as I as I get older and I watch more films, like I'm starting to get the feeling that. The core of of a movie, a linear viewing experience is information and the the timing and the pace in which you provide that to the viewer or the characters. And I feel I feel like maybe there's some tripping over himself or some lack of care and attention to detail when it comes to characterizations or or doing the Seinfeld thing of tying all the threads together in a, in a neat little bow that makes you feel good. That's part of why Seinfeld is so beloved and many other shows written in that, like as tightly as that show was is because it feels really good. It's like watching a heist movie. It feels really fucking good sometimes to see things get wrapped up and go the places that you on some level probably expect them to go. It's not a letdown. It's an expectation because if you're telling a story correctly, we should all kind of know where it should be going. Um, but yeah, I feel like the the non-Cornetto films, the non-Simon Pegg collaborations, maybe there's just not as much attention and love put into the way the writing is because you're absolutely right about that first portion of The World's End. Um, it's masterfully crafted where the, characterization, the characterizations are drip-fed to us and the way that we learn more about them over time is very, very interesting because it's a, it at some point becomes a big, loud, noisy, chaotic film. But at the heart of it, it's just about a group of friends and about two friends in particular and their different growth 
speeds throughout their, you know, leading into adulthood and whatnot. And the, the way that we peel back the layers and learn why the characters are reacting the way that they are, like at the outset of things and why it all makes sense as time goes on is really well put together. Um, so very nice pick, Brad. Um, I, I haven't seen that movie since we reviewed it, but talking about it makes me kind of want to give it another look. Yeah, it's one I've gone back to many times and continued to uh, to grow on me. Yeah, I was I, not not surprised, I guess, that it uh, is kind of looked at as the lesser of the three films. But I think uh, I, I really think it just came out like so removed from the other two that people were kind of just like, I don't know, a little over it or people themselves. It's almost like a meta movie because people themselves had grown up and grown away from these movies that it didn't have the sort of thing where, you know, I, at least for me personally, my age, like Shaun of the Dead, that was one that everybody in school watched and quoted and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, by the time the world's end came out, like now we all have jobs. We don't have time to quote these movies. So it just maybe didn't catch on uh, quite as much as the other two did. But I think it's uh, it's easily my second favorite and someday it might be my first out of that trilogy. Yeah. Well, you, you keep rewatching it. Maybe it'll get there, but I'll yeah, get there. I, I, <laughs> it'll happen. We're, we're going to push this bitch into a five star. We'll get it there. <laughs> 4.5. Now it'll, it'll get there soon. It'll get there. <laughs> but, but yeah, I do need to see Shaun of the dead and I should probably just watch the whole Cornetto trilogy in, in like a, in a week or something. Just because I, you know, I still have that gap to fill and it's been long enough that I don't remember those other two as well as I ought to, I guess. And they're good movies, so it's not a waste of my fucking time. Definitely. They get better on rewatches as well. That's I bet that's one element. Yeah. Yeah. No, like I was saying about the way the, the world's end is structured. There's a lot of detail in there. There's a lot of subtlety, like in, in spite of all the noise and, and the chaos and whatnot and the 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 broader elements of it. There, there's a lot going on in the background about the characters. And I believe hot fuzz had that as a, as an element to the characters as well. Um, so on that note, I would expect Shaun of the dead to also be carry a lot of the same strengths as the other two. Um, and based on Brad nodding just now. Yeah. Sounds like that's the case. Uh, so uh, I am going to make my last pick here. Um, and it's not a, it's not like a, a, a swervy, like fancy pick or nothing. Um, also probably expected. Uh, this is, this has been a uh, Trevor's uh, basic bitch picks uh, all day long. <laughs> this is a uh, pumpkin spice latte picks. Normally Trevor tends to go ex- obscure uh, when it comes to tales from the shelf uh, picks. Uh, but in the interest of saving some time, uh, we all got lives. Sorry, folks. Um, I'm just going to keep it straight. I'm going to pitch this whole episode straight down the middle. <laughs> um, so I have here on 4K as well as uh, its sequel in a two pack, which hopefully doesn't make Brad barf on his webcam. Uh, Brad's not a big fan of stuffing more than one movie in one normal sized clamshell. Uh, I have here on 4K uh, The Adams Family with more Mamushka, which actually is a feature of this particular presentation of the film. And I'll explain in just a second. Um, and I also have the two movie collection of the Adams family and the Adams family values, um, both of which are very, very good films. Um, I would certainly put the Adams family above Adams family values. Um, but I don't think there is a 
true loser between the two of them. Very similar to like uh, Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. I like them both, but I like the first one more. Uh, that's about it. Um, so uh, The Addams Family is directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. And I believe, I, I'm not researching this right now, so Brad, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he worked with the, the Coenses, uh, the Coen brothers, as yeah. a DP. Um, and as such, this is a handsome ass movie. Adam Stanley values markedly less so. Um, there, there is some shit going on with the makeup, and in particular, the lighting in that movie that is irksome to me. Um, Christopher Lloyd has a weirdly orange tongue in that movie that really bothers me. Um, but moreover, like one, it's a small thing, but like it's a big thing that you notice if you've seen these movies as many times as I have, especially this one. I've seen this movie an ungodly number of times. Um, Angelica Houston, uh, Morticia Adams in this film, the way they light her is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's like old Hollywood shit where she has a dedicated beam of light applied to like her brow ridge and her eye line. And it, it like just follows her throughout the movie. And it's it's incredible. It's, it's this very small attention to detail, but a lot of love and care went into giving her her distinct ethereal look that it just doesn't sell as well when it's purely just, you know, ghost faced makeup in, in like the second film and other presentations of the character. It, it's a wonderful addition to the to the visual palette of the movie that I, I really love. But the production design of this movie is wonderful. All the props and the sets and the lighting schemes. Um, but moreover, the cast is is just chef's kiss. I I'm not good with whistling and like chef's kiss and, and like snap. I, I'm very bad with making noises with my hands and, and stuff like that. I can I can do vo- vocal imitations, but all this shit, nothing. Um, <laughs> Raul Julia is Gomez Adams in my book. I know he was not the first and certainly not the last. I believe I who is is it Luis Guzman who's playing him in the Netflix mm-hmm. show? Yeah. OK. OK. Um. Raul Julia is Gomez Adams, and he's also one of the single most endearing characters put to film, at least from my perspective. Um, Virtually everything he does in these movies is just like just broiled into my memory. Um, uh, It will never leave me because it's some of the funniest and most colorful shit you'll ever see. And I already mentioned Angelica Houston and Christopher Lloyd. Uh, They're both excellent, although Christopher Lloyd is he's mugging a bit. Like he's having, he's taking that shit for a walk in Adam's family values. And it's like, dial it down, buddy. It's like, I know you were on taxi, but you know, I know the movie's largely about you much like Ninja Turtles. One is largely about Raphael and Ninja Turtles. Two is largely about Donatello. I know this is your Donatello moment, Mr. Lloyd, but like buckle down. Joan Cusack's here too, and she's mugging as well. So, like the two of you going at it is a bit much. Um, and of course, Christina Ricci, she's basically created her brand with her with her appearance in this movie of being the the bug eyed creepy girl. Um, I believe she's been doing pretty well in Hollywood since then. But yeah, uh, Adam's Family, the first one in particular, uh, very very special movie to me. Um, it's kind of funny because my brother hated how often I would put it on. Um, because the way that we the way that we obtained that movie for the first time um, was McDonald's was doing a, a promotion where I don't know the circumstances of how you would 
how the transaction was done, but a lot of Paramount VHS tapes uh, could be acquired through visiting McDonald's. And there was like a very small selection of them. And this was in the early nineties. And that was the one that we, that was the one that our family ended up taking home. And I don't think my parents gave it two shits about it. Um, my brother certainly didn't, but for some reason I watched it and I fell in love with it. And I just kept much, much like me and my brother's relationship to the movie speed. I just kept watching it over and over and over again. He was like, Oh my fucking God. <laughs> like what is wrong with this child? <laughs> But so it didn't work for him uh, to the extent that it did for me. But yeah, that was that was how I that's how I was exposed to the Adams family initially. Uh, I would love if McDonald's had it where you could, you know, you eat so many burgers, you get a free Blu-ray like, oh, I would. That's all I would do. I would never not eat at McDonald's. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I'm not sure if you'd have to hang up those running shoes of yours or like really hit the pavement really hard if you're going to if you're going to proceed down that path. Right. (laughs) You don't understand. (laughs) There's so many Blu-rays at McDonald's. Got to collect them all. (laughs) I got to get them all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, those uh, great picks. I mean, I I really like um those two movies and I like uh, Barry Sonnenfeld as a director. Um, I don't, I feel like he, you know, obviously those movies aping off Tim Burton a little bit, but uh, I think there is a lot of creativity in the filmmaking um, and yeah, visually both in terms of, you know, how they're shot and uh, production design. I think there's a lot of great stuff in there Um, and the casting I think is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sonnenfeld, like I, I get him confused with some other entities in Hollywood every once in a while. Um, but in glancing at his filmography, it does look like maybe he's called it quits. Uh, it does look like he's done some television within the past couple of years here, but was not especially high profile from what I can tell. Um, but yeah, he he did some good work in film. Uh, Adam's Family, I believe, was his directorial debut. Um, Get Shorty, I know, was a big deal in 95. Men in Black, Wild Wild West, uh, less so in terms of quality of film, but I'm pretty sure it made money. Uh, so that the 90s were kind of his heyday, as far as I can tell, as a director anyway. Um, big, tr- <laughs> big Trouble, I believe you have a story about her. At least you've showcased it on this show before. I love Big Trouble. <laughs> I know you love Big Trouble. <laughs> I should have grabbed that off the shelf. I wasn't even looking at my Kino section. Yeah, actually, yeah. it's funny. Now that I, I, I hadn't thought about it in, since we since you last brought it up, which was probably a very long time ago at this point. But now I'm like, Big Trouble. And now that's that's the name I've not heard since... <laughs> but yeah Uh, and then he did all the men in blacks and uh my favorite punching bag of comedy uh rv oh Um, yeah that i i love shitting on that movie i love shitting on that shitty movie uh, because it's uh for having i believe jeff daniels and robin williams criminally unfunny and absolutely hideous to look at from a from a guy with a background as a dp who as we talked about is, is known for putting very interesting images, very beautiful images on film. That movie is hideous. I, I think of aqua and teal. Like, I, I just think, I think of like pool scum when I think of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the color palette that comes to mind when I think of fucking RV. Um, 
yeah uh and i believe men in black three and uh oh fuck me freddy uh nine lives from 2016 was his last movie featuring uh, <laughs> he who normally shall not be named but because it's my show i'm gonna name him uh kevin spacey uh as the voice of the uh, i presume or assume uh cgi animated cat in that film that, that's how you know you've hit the big time brad when you're voicing cgi animated cats <laughs> yeah yeah what i'm trying to think what was the other who's the other um barry director why am i blanking barry levinson is that who i'm thinking that's about? that's the one i, I always I, my no, wires get different. crossed all the time i i misattribute things between the two of them all the time I don't know what it is. I think I think maybe they crossed paths or have worked in similar similar circles in addition to having somewhat similar names. Yeah, because I believe um, I I keep thinking that uh, Barry Sonnenfeld started doing a lot of TV uh, like HBO films, but it's actually Barry Levinson who did like You Don't Know Jack and The Wizard of Lies. And um, yeah, Barry Sonnenfeld, he hasn't done much. He did the series of unfortunate events. series for netflix but now yeah, not much really yeah that that's why i i led that that talking point by indicating like i i do mix this guy up with with levinson all the time so if i if i say the wrong thing about the wrong guy don't be surprised in the slightest but i, I will point out that the uh with more uh mamushka on the cover of this one is it is a uh, additional feature on this uh, 4k presentation of the film um, where it's basically the Mamushka song and dance sequence, um, but an extended take of it, um, which you can argue for and against in terms of whether it's makes the movie better. Um, it's just like an additional minute or two of footage, basically. But it is edited footage, like it's completed. It's not like it's not like like just like B roll bullshit or something. Kind of like the uh, was it the Richard Donner cut of a. A Superman 2 where it's like mm-hmm. we put this together the best we could so fuck off um, it, it, it is actually pretty seamlessly integrated into the film and it actually solved a, uh, a mystery um, for me personally because uh, being a huge fan of the Adams Family and a lot of its aesthetics uh, I've listened to the soundtrack for it many many times because lovely soundtrack um, and the, the soundtrack version of the Mamushka has an additional verse or two that is not featured in the theatrical presentation of the film. And I was always confused by that where it's, I have that thing where oftentimes the first way you're exposed to something is the way you prefer it. Even if it's not objectively better or whatever, it's just, that's your subjective approach to it. Um, so whenever that track would come up, like on my MP3 player or something, it'd be like, what is Raul Julia talking about? Where is he going? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he's off book. Um, and now I know that it's because when they filmed that or when they when they wrote that scene, it was longer and, and the song is longer as well. Um, they just trimmed it for time, I guess, for the theatrical version. So that's 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 a neat little thing that I was like, oh, now I know that 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 actually was composed and scripted that way. It, it just got cut. Yeah. Oh, so that's the only version on that 4K, though, right? Um, I don't know if it's a feature you have to enable or not. Um, I forget. 
I did watch this. I, I did check out the 4K, so it's not just collecting dust on my shelf. But I don't remember if there's a prompt to like do the theatrical or the more mamushka version. Um, but anyway, uh, that was my uh, my last uh, kick-ass comedy pick uh, for this month. Um, so uh, as is customary, uh, folks at home, we will proceed into the speed round of Tales from the Shelf, uh, wherein Brad and I will uh, gather up our runner-up picks, uh, that is, uh, films in our collections that we did not showcase uh, in our discussion just now, and just kind of breeze through them, uh, foregoing the conversational aspect of things until the wrap-up. So, um, Brad, uh, would you like me to go, or do you want to take the reins and uh, spearhead this bitch? Uh, I can kick it off right here. Uh, Yeah, I can go quick. I've only got uh, four other ones now. I, I actually do have quite a few comedies uh, in my collection, so I didn't grab anywhere near all of them. Uh, you know, I didn't pull off Mike and Dave need wedding dates, even though I do have that one. Um, but I specifically went for like broad comedies. I should say that like I didn't pull off like Annie Hall or, you know, something like uh, the fish called Wanda is the classiest I pulled off. I was going for like hard comedies um, but I also grabbed, uh, office space, which, uh, I really enjoy. Um, I'm not like the biggest Mike judge fan, but I don't know this one very relatable, I guess. Like I think about the line that Ron Livingston has about how he like goes into work and just stares at his desk for two hours and maybe only does 20 minutes of work a week. Like I think about that at work all the time, <laughs> especially on Mondays. Um, but yeah, I, I really like office space, uh, very timely pick here. Dodgeball, which hey. just got announced to, to get a sequel. Um, you know, uh, only 20 years later, uh, I, I will say also, uh, written and directed by Ross and Marshall Thurber, who I really like dodgeball. It's, it's very dumb humor, but there's, uh, you know, there's an element of creativity in how dumb it is. Like, I I think it's very aware of itself. I think the cast is very good. Um, There's some great, like, you know, sight gags and stuff. And I think they elevate the idea of like, okay, we're going to make a movie about professional dodgeball. They elevate it more than it probably should have been. Um, But this director, I, I remember it was a while after dodgeball that he made something else. I can't remember what his follow up was, but I kept thinking like, man, dodgeball. I love that movie. It was very funny, clever. Like I, I, I can't wait to see what he does next. And uh, he has gone uh, nowhere. I mean, he's actually he's I think he's the rocks guy now. I think he's directed a bunch of movies with the rock, um, but not uh, playing to his strengths, in my opinion. Uh, Burn after reading. Um, I guess maybe this Cohen brothers, maybe this is the classiest pick I have here. Um, you, you know, obviously you could pick the big Lebowski as the Cohen brothers funniest film, but I really like burn after reading. I just, I love how, you know, the stupidity of all the characters and how watching these like a list, like, you know, classy actors play dumb is a lot of fun and the way that the Coen brothers direct the movie, like with the sort of like um, how, how uh, you know, the, the grandiosity of like a very like important spy movie, like, you know, everything is played very like in terms of the direction, it's played very like important and big, but uh, in reality, it's just these really stupid people fighting over 
a, a disc that has nothing worthwhile on it. And I, I, I like that, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the play between that, the friction there. Um, and, uh, last one, obviously I'll mention there's more comedies that I love that I could mention, but I have to mention dumb and dumber, which I do think is, uh, maybe the funniest movie of all time. Um, and I've mentioned on the show before, but of course this is the unrated version, which I do think, uh, has I mentioned to you the, the gag in the, the stall, uh, the extended scene in the stall. It, it kills one of the best, uh, maybe not the best, but it kills an incredible gag in the movie. The cut from Jim Carrey screaming back to Jeff Daniels outside is amazing in the, uh, theatrical cut the extended scene where we stay in that stall for longer, not as good. So unfortunate that that's the version on here, but what can you do? Oh, so in that case, there is no option to choose. It's strictly the unrated cut. As far as I know, I think it is only the unrated cut. Yeah. Uh, that that kind of sucks. They, they ruin sea bass. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just... yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Those are excellent picks, Brad. Um, that That's the thing when it comes to a lot of comedies for me is that I don't, own that many of the ones that I, I hold most dear because they they're so crystallized in my memory that I I've reached a stage in my life where I just I don't watch them anymore. Um, and in general, I just don't buy comedies as frequently as I do, like, say, action movies and whatnot. Um, but pretty much everyone you just listed off, like those are all awesome. Uh, Dodgeball, I I really do love that. that and basketball, man. Those ball comedies. Both of those movies are fucking awesome. And I actually did not know that uh, Dodgeball is getting a sequel. Um, curious how that's going to pan out. But um, yeah. you, you were absolutely correct. Um, Rawson Marshall Thurber um, is the director of that. It's his directorial debut. And yes, he is very much the rocks guy right now. Um Central Intelligence, Skyscraper, and Red Notice all consecutively. Uh, so he's strictly a rock guy uh, for the time being. Um, but yeah, th- that movie is really well put together. Uh, as you said, they they went above and beyond. They did a lot of things they didn't have to do, like like building the world and the rules of dodgeball and treating it very seriously. Mm-hmm. I love that. Like it's it's a legit sports drama with some actual like character drama, and I the characters in that I think are a big part of what makes it work. Um, I'm not positive. I, I liked what Alan Tudyk was there to do. Like I know pirates of the Caribbean or whatever was kind of a thing. And the pirate thing was a thing, but it's like, can we do something else with, with this very talented and very funny man, <laughs> but Vince Vaughn in particular, I think he, he stays very true to that character throughout the whole thing. And is, borderline unreactive to, to, to a lot of the shenanigans going on around him. But because he's Vince Vaughn, he he also injects a lot of comedy into that presentation. So yeah, awesome picks. Burn After Reading is is excellent. I love a good dumb people comedy. Dumb people in over their heads comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Probably my favorite Michael Bay movie is Pain and Gain for that reason. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about a bunch of dummies that that just do not understand the shit they've gotten themselves into and it's lovely to watch like it's something you would never want visited upon you in real life but to watch someone else go through it uh yeah uh, that's called schadenfreude <laughs> and it's lovely <laughs> yeah <laughs> knowing that's you know happening to 
fictional entities. Although in the case of pain and gains based on true stories, that's a little fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actual people were hurt and killed. Uh, so that being said, um, I will proceed into my speed round here. Um, and I, most of these are not straight comedies. I think I preface things by indicating that. So I'm just going to whip through these real quick here. Uh, I have here on 4k Beetlejuice, um, which is a funny movie. Um, I wouldn't call it a straight comedy, but it is a Tim Burton movie. And for the most part, he has just an underlying sense of silliness and unreality that often presents as humorous in his films. There's a, a kitschy factor to a lot of his films, even when they have like a, a very dark aesthetic. There's usually an element of fun running under the surface. And, and Beetlejuice is very much that. It's a very silly movie. Um, Psycho Gorman, <laughs> which uh, Kyle, of all people, was absolutely infatuated with prior to its release. It was okay when he ended up seeing it, but for some fucking reason... He was mega hyped for Psycho Gorman, and it is fun. It's a lot of fun, in fact. It's not what he hoped it would be, but it's fun. I have one cut of the dead, which again is not strictly a comedy, although it has a lot of comedic elements to it. That's a lot of fun. Not going to say any more than that. I have, because it's kind of an unwritten law of Tales from the Shelf uh, that he be mentioned, on literally every episode. Uh, I have a pair of Scott Adkins films. He's done uh, and, comedies? Uh, let me finish. <laughs> Action comedies. Let, let's be... Let, he has done other things, Brett. He does many things. Uh, he has done horror films. He's done a, a home invasion heist movie. Um, and yes, he's done straight up horror movies as well. He's done a fucking zombie movie, Brad. Uh, he does many things. Um, so we have here accident man on blu-ray um which leans pretty heavily into comedy as being a, a pillar of its presentation the script is a little cringe by today's standards um in that they i don't know they go certain places and say certain things that are not not okay or not pc in certain circles or mo many circles in fact um ray stevenson is very much the mvp of the comedy in that movie though ray stevenson is fucking amazing in that um, he is vicious and hilarious at the same time. Um, and because it's British, they get to call everybody cunt all the time, which just, you know, as, as an American, you love, you, you just, it's like, man, why can't we do that? Why can't that be our word? <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the comedy doesn't always land in that one. The action, the movie as a whole, great. Um, the comedy is, in terms of dialogue, is it's a little like, there's a lot of misogyny in there that's like, mm, like, mm. <laughs> like, watch it, Scotty, watch it. <laughs> um, but a, they course corrected by the time they got to Accident Man, Hitman's Holiday, also known as Accident Man 2, which is a very recent Scott Adkins film shot in Malta. Um, I know one of your buddies has a connection over there. Yeah, Charlie. Oh, I'll have to let him know about this one. Yeah, uh, this was from that sweet, sweet era of Hollywood where we were filming a lot of shit in Malta. Uh, probably shot around the same time as Jurassic World Dominion and probably shot in some of the same locations. Um, I don't know what the fuck they did with their tax system over there that year, but it worked. Um, I think this on the whole is just a better movie. Um, it it uh, It's it's funnier. It's it's slicker. It's cleaner. It looks more expensive and the action is top notch. 
Um, I have uh, probably the first comedy I ever bought. Um, again, not a genre I I, I buy very often. Um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, I love this movie. I love a lot of aspects of this movie. Um, it's one of maybe two or three movies I've ever seen in a theater with my grandma. Um, so for that reason, it, it's very special to me. And it was also very, very good. I think it's very sweet and very the way it's written is lovely. Um, I have The Last Dragon, um, which is a very silly, very campy uh, martial arts uh, comedy. I have The Big Hit, um, which is a absolutely bonkers and ridiculous action comedy uh, with, uh, yes, that is, in fact, Marky Mark, Bokeem Woodbine and uh, Lou Diamond Phillips there, as well as Antonio Sabato Jr., uh, Internet Toilet, uh, Antonio Sabato Jr., um, check that one out. Um, if you're in the mood for some, I believe it's early two thousands or late nineties, uh, cinema. Um, it is, it is quite trashy, but also very silly and fun. I have another stakeout, uh, which is most people regard this as greatly inferior to the original. Um, I've only seen that movie once and I do not remember it, but for some reason, like the Adams family, I latched the fuck onto that movie and Dennis Farina getting brain freeze is one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen in my entire life. Straight up. <laughs> um, Bowfinger for three dollars. <laughs> um, I, I love movies about making movies, and that is a very funny movie about making movies with some very funny people in it. Um, Chubby Rain, man. I, I use that expression in Seattle all the fucking time and nobody gets the reference, but I'm like, man, chubby rain. This, this rain sure is chubby. <laughs> Beavis and butthead do America. Uh, me and a uh, Richie from the super media bros, uh, podcast. Uh, we spotlit this and it was a Chris Farley show equivalent of just the two of us doing Beavis and butthead imitations for roughly two hours. <laughs> love that movie. I love Mike judge. Um, big trouble in little China, not strictly a comedy, but you know, it has a lot of comedic beats to it that, again, are very special to me. Uh, Hollow, fuck it. <laughs> um, coup de cinema. Uh, this is actually directed by my friend, uh, Sean Parker uh, from Hapstance Films. Uh, he's in the middle of producing a, uh, a really amazing like puppet show uh, project called Fogtown. Um, he's based in Portland. We went to college together. We were not classmates, but I did help him with a lot of the films he was making at the time. And uh, he was kind enough to uh, give me a Blu-ray of his his first feature film. Uh, so I'm a proud owner of this. I'm in roughly seven seconds of this. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, this is a fun, kind of like a, a heist comedy film uh, about a, a film production that is being like clandestinely uh, restructured on the off hours so like it's about a film crew who is stuck making a shitty movie but at night they go back and they reshoot everything better behind the director's back and it's it's very it's very fun uh, i've seen it many times uh dead heat uh borderline horror comedy um this this is the midnight madness version from image but i believe this got a vinegar syndrome uh maybe even a 4k mm-hmm. um this one's a lot of fun if you like squibs and zombies. Um, not so much if you're a huge uh, Joe Piscopo fan, though, because uh, I don't think his film career was as good as his comedy career. Ernest goes to jail. 
Love this movie. Did a whole episode on it. Uh, it's great. And uh, now for something completely different. Uh, Hudson Hawk. Uh, a complete pile of shit. Um, I bought this movie because it was exactly $1. Um, and I was curious because uh, much like Ishtar, this movie has a rancid reputation for being a complete pile of garbage that that nearly sunk the careers of all involved um and i love a good dumpster fire like that those are some of my favorite stories in hollywood um such that i my masochistic tendencies kind of compel me to reach out and grab these things so one dollar hudson hawk i did in fact watch it oof (laughs) it's real bad and it thinks it's so funny and there are a few things more cringeworthy than a uh, unfunny comedy, uh, especially when they're trying really hard. Um, yeah, don't, 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 just don't, Brad. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good Pixar, though. Uh, so, quite a few I haven't seen. Um, one that I, I want to see that I, I don't think I've ever seen is Bowfinger, um, which I love the premise of Bowfinger, just from what I understand. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen it. And, uh, it's, it's one that I've been meaning to check out for a while. Oh yeah. I I would highly recommend that one. Like a lot of it hinges on if you like Steve Martin. So I'll ask you right now, or do you care for his particular brand of comedy? Pretty ambivalent towards him. Uh, neither love nor hate that. That could be tough because, uh, Kyle, again, my regular co-host, he actually doesn't care much for, for Steve Martin. Like he's not a selling point. For me, on the other hand, I really, really like him. I, I love his particular style. Um, so it really works for me. Uh, and the movie is largely oriented around him. Like a lot of the flavor is is kind of him. Um, Eddie Murphy's there too, obviously. And there's a really, really good uh, supporting cast. Uh, Heather Graham's in there as well. She was kind of the it girl uh, for a minute there around the Austin Power time. But super awesome premise. It's, it's it, Folks, if you're not aware, Bowfinger is about a low budget filmmaker trying trying to make a film wherein the star of the film is not aware he's being he's a participant in the film. So they have a sci-fi script for a film that basically they keep jumping him on the street with hidden cameras to to film to film his scenes and all the actors acting opposite him think he's doing some like improvisational method shit or something. So the idea is only the director is aware that they're intruding on this poor man's life and scaring the fuck out of him. <laughs> uh, it's lovely. Uh, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. <laughs> um, I'll just say that much. K-I-T. Uh, I say that to the girlfriend a lot. <laughs> keep it together. <laughs> anyway, um, I guess that's about it for our uh, discussion about kick-ass comedies here on Tales from the Shelf. Um, but before we go, uh, I will say uh, thank you, Brad, uh, for joining me today. It was a lot of fun, as always. Um, and uh, would you care to let the folks at home know uh, where they can find you and your super awesome podcast? Yeah, well, thank you, Trevor, for having me. Uh, I have the Cinema Speak podcast that I'm the host of. Uh, you can find us uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or on Twitter at the Cinema Speak on Instagram as Cinema Speak Podcast and on YouTube as Cinema Speak. And uh, you can find us on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Very nice. Uh, 
now comes the fun part of the show where being as we're doing a live stream on the YouTubes, uh, I get to ask you, Brad, you got any videos in the pipe, sir? Uh, I've been falling off. I've been falling off. Been too busy. But, you know, I, I have I did tell you, I have a few uh, some free some more free time at the moment. So maybe something will be cooking up. We'll see. Um, but as of now, uh, it's it's been a slow slog. Well, I will say that I also have some free time uh, coming up in the next week or so. Um, so I will extend the offer. If you have any stuff that, that's been shot but needs to be edited, uh, I I would like to help you if you're willing. Um, so if you have any stuff you want to dump on my doorstep, um, have at it. <laughs> oh, I might take you up on that. Yeah, because I'm probably going to be pretty bored this next week. The girlfriend's going out of town. I'm going to be bored as shit. I don't yeah. have any video games that I'm particularly interested in at the moment. I finished RE4 Remake. So I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, that be uh, get back to me later. But uh, that being said, um, as for myself and my show, um, you can find... Uh, all of our episodes collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. <laughs> I don't know why I slipped into uh, uh, the cable guy for a second. <laughs> Steven? <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can find all of our episodes uh, collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us uh, on the social medias in the form of the Instagram at catchinguponcinema, as well as the Twitter at catchingcinema. Uh, so feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including BitCade. So fucking Google it. And uh, that being said, thank you so much for listening and hopefully watching. And uh, we will catch you next time. Uh, say goodbye, Brad. Bye. Thanks for stopping. Bye. Bye.